Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 20. That's all the way at the very end of the Bible. So if you can open up and you'd like to follow along, you can follow along on page 878 in your pew Bibles. We'll be reading verses 1 through 10. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was a devil or a Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil, who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is We have the, uh, the privilege of hearing Pastor King Five speak to us today, so uh, please give him a warm welcome. Good morning, boys and girls. <laughs> I thought I'm in children's worship. <laughs> but uh, I'd like to uh, say a few words regarding children ministry before I uh, proceed with the sermon. I want to thank you all for your being so flexible and accommodating. Um, especially in September when we had... Uh, you know, more than expected number of children attending, and we were trying to uh, find more rooms. And then we heard that, uh, you know, you willingly give up the carriage house. And so one of the uh, Chinese uh, fellowship group moved out from the first floor to the carriage house, and then we end up getting one more room, be able to acu- accommodate all the children. So uh, we really appreciate it. Another thing uh, is that... Uh, you know, since uh, about six months ago, uh, we started prescribing an area we call the children ministry area. And we put signs all around, and we say that please don't enter unless you are a teacher or unless you need to be in there, like drop up your children and so on and so forth. I think the English ministry has been very cooperative. You know, as you go from the church office to here, I think many of you will just go upstairs and in a roundabout way, uh, instead of going through the first floor, and I really appreciate it. One more thing I really appreciate, and uh, it was uh, 
few months ago, and you know, I received a, a email, and then you know, people came to see me. College students who volunteer to serve children ministry. I really appreciate it. And then I was surprised. One high schooler came and talked to me and said, "I like to serve in the nursery." What does a high schooler have to do with nursery? But uh, she has been coming very faithfully. So, uh, so with all your help, uh, min- uh, children ministry are growing and uh, and uh, you know on the on the right track. And uh, there's no way to do children ministry unless we have enough uh, resources, human power. So uh, let's thank the Lord together. And let's pray as we uh, ask the Lord to open our eyes to understand his message. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, we have been studying uh, Revelation uh, for over a year earlier and then the last uh, several months. And Father, we pray that as we uh, get into Revelation 20, talking about the millennium, millennium, help us to understand your word, especially this is one of the most uh, difficult chapters with various explanations and some details that we still, uh, many of us still couldn't figure it out. We just pray that you open our eye and find what is important for us as Christians today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In order to understand uh, Revelation chapter 20 and get a feel of that, especially we have gone through the seven seals and then the seven trumpets and then the seven bowls as if they are talking about very similar things. And then the beast from the sea and the dragon and so on and so forth. Some of you may be saying that, oh, we're glad that we are coming to an end of Revelation. I'm going to relate to you a story. Uh, something have to do with it. Three years ago, when our younger daughter Priscilla, she joined the Peace Corps and she was in uh, Ukraine uh, teaching English. And then our older daughter, who is doing a graduate study, and she was asked to give a paper in a conference in Italy. And so we said, why don't we meet each other in Italy? So Anna and I flew in from Boston, and Priscilla flew into uh, Italy uh, from Ukraine, and then uh, we met Karina there. A year ago, when we decided to visit Ukraine, visit Priscilla, we had a big debate. Should we drive? Or should we take public transportation? And it was a big waste of time taking public transportation. Between Lviv, the western city of Ukraine, and Budapest in Hungary, if we were to drive, it probably take two hours or so. We took the train. It took us 17 hours. And then in the middle of the night, we got waken up, and it's checked the custom, and we have to show our passport, and so on and so forth. Very much the Soviet Union's day type of feeling. So at uh, that time, I was the advocate. I said, let's drive. But I was voted down by the other members of my family. So this time, I uh, voted again, let's drive in Italy. And some were not uh, so sure. But in the end, you know, they gave in. 
So I was uh, become the planner of the whole trip. So we make plan well, and then uh, you know we figure out we'll be flying into Venice, and then Venice happened to have two airports. We flew in the first airport, which is more famous. But from Ukraine, you can only fly into Venice into a second, a smaller airport, about half an hour's drive distance. And then Karina, she had a conference near Florence, which is about three hours from Venice. Now, why did we decide to fly into Venice? Because we plan to fly in there and then drive down to near Florence. And visit Rome, visit Florence, visit、uh, Venice, and then come back, make a loop. So that's kind of our beginning. So everything was well planned. I reserved the car and some hotel and some、uh, other, you know, accommodation and so on and so forth. The day we about to depart, I got a phone call from the airline. I'm sorry to inform you that. The plane flying into Venice has been cancelled, and the only plane available is the following day. I was so mad because it screwed up my holiday, and also we already make plan. We have to be in to fly into Venice in the morning. Priscilla is to fly into the other airport in Venice in the afternoon, so we rent a car. And drive to pick her up, and then stay in that area for one night, and then the next day we have to drive down to near Florence to meet Karina. So we quickly scramble, and I call Priscilla, and she was still in Ukraine, and then I said, "Wow, we, we got messed up our plan. So you figure out a way from the airport to go to the hotel."、Uh, and Priscilla is very resourceful, so I, I didn't worry about it. And we also agree: once we get into Italy, we heard that in the airport you can rent or buy a cheap cell phone, and then we can、uh, call each other. So the following day, we flew into Venice, and of course, we didn't know whether Priscilla arrived there,、uh, you know, safely or not. We quickly, you know, get to go to the、uh, went to the、uh, car rental and try to get our car. And of course, the car that you know we reserve was gone. And the only other car available is a BMW. <laughs> so I took that and、uh, <laughs> grudgingly. <laughs> and so、uh, you know, so we started driving、uh, to the hotel. Uh, to meet、uh, to find Priscilla, and I thought, you know, finally we are getting a good break, and everything went smoothly. And、uh, and you know, to prepare for the trip, I actually borrowed a GPS from、uh, from a family in the Chinese congregation. They have an international、uh, GPS at the time, so I have it all set up, and then、uh, you know, key in the the address of the hotel, and then we were driving. Priscilla have to check out 11 o'clock, and we were making good time. I said before 11 we should be there, and we thought we'd be able to get there by 10 o'clock. We were on the highway, and we were supposed to exit. And then the GPS told us to exit, except they have a road work, and they closed the exit. So we were forced to 
uh, drive on, we, we uh, drove on, and then it turned out to be a very long drive, uh, highway without any exits. Finally, we were able to get out and drive around. And then by that time, I was confused, and the GPS was confused. <laughs> so I said, well, I, I, that's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, we're going to drive back to the airport and then exit the one before. At the time, the GPS still in, uh, still uh, sane, and then we can find our way there. So when we drove back, we were close to the airport, and then I made the wrong turn. I turned into another highway and took us south. And that highway was very, very long. It's a new highway, and the GPS doesn't know its existence. <laughs> and they thought we were driving on the street and kept telling us, make a right turn, make a right turn, make a right turn. I turned off the GPS. <laughs> and then finally we will find a way and then got back the other direction. We drove back, and the GPS still uh, totally lost. And we said... We are not, never going to make it. By the grace of God, finally we connected back to the first highway and get on to the first exit, and then the GPS was able to, took us, uh, to take us uh, to the hotel. By, the, by that time, it was already past 12 o'clock. So I stayed in the car because we can't find a parking space, and I said, Anna, why don't you go into the hotel and look for Priscilla? She went out there, and Pris Priscilla was nowhere to be found. And this is the time, there was a time, uh, BC, before cell phone. And we don't have any cell phone. So we couldn't contact uh, her. Fortunately, all of a sudden she showed up carrying her luggage. She said, I was waiting too long and I just want to walk around. And, and so we we're so happy to see her. And then we have to rush to drive near Florence to meet Karina. And we pick up something from McDonald's and then we started going. Everything went smoothly, and Karina was meeting, the meeting place is a resort area. It's not on the GPS map. But we thought we'd get to the nearby town, and, and we might be able to figure out. And, and we went to the nearby town, and then we asked people. And uh, turned out nobody understand English there. So Priscilla used her little Spanish and talked to an Italian. And after a few tries, we finally met one person who was so knowledgeable about the roads. It's actually 45 minutes away. And we made it to the resort area and met Karina just before she was to give her presentation before 5 o'clock. So it was a kind of a long trip. And then we said, we're going to drive to Rome the next day. And before we get to Rome, let's stop by uh, uh, Pisa, uh, the Tower of Pisa. We want to see it, not too far away. So again, we type into the address and the GPS, and we drove. And then we get to Pisa, and then uh, try to find a place to park. There was a road going in there, and then you can't go anymore. You, have, you are forced to make a left turn. And on the left side is a big, giant wall. And after we made a left turn, and there was an arc. And we drove in there. And after I drove in there, and then I, try to, I see a road there, I try to make a left turn and again look for a place to park. All of a sudden, Priscilla sitting at the back on the right side, passenger side, started screaming out. Wow! I said, what's going on? And right before her eyes was nothing. 
<laughs> Do we have something at the back there? Somebody connect me? Oh, okay. Ah, there we go. And right before her eye was the Tower of Pisa. You know, you see the car on the right-hand side? That's where we turn in. And so before then, we can't see it at all, but right after we turn, and Priscilla saw it. And we were so lucky to find a parking space, parked the car, took the picture, tour a little bit, and then we went on to Rome. Now, why did I tell you this story? Because sure enough, as, as adventurous as that trip was, ups and downs and twists and turns, we got there and we saw the Tower of Pisa. And revelations. There are so many, you know, uh, so many uh, calamities and so on and so forth. But in the end, sure enough, Christ will come. Suddenly. The most unexpectedly. And this is the passage we talk about entering into the millennium, and then Christ return. The passage we already read already, it is uh, chapter 20, verse 1 through 10. And if you will, those are, you can have three uh, sections. The first section talk about Satan bound. And then the second section talk about the, rain, the saints reign with Christ. And finally, Satan thrown in the lake of fire. Very quickly, verse 1, it says, there's an angel appearing, coming down out of heaven. Verse 2, it says, he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Verse 3, and he got thrown into the abyss, and then kept from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were over. Verse 3 is the second mention of thousand years. Verse 4, beginning a section on the saints reign with Christ. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. Who are they? They are the Christians. We'll look at them a little bit in more detail. But they came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Verse 6. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection, and so on and so forth. They will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. This is the fifth time that phrase occurred. The third section, verse 7, When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison. And finally, Satan was thrown into the lake of a burning sulfur and stayed there, tormented day and night, forever and ever. That's the end of age. Now there are six mentions of a thousand years. And you would guess that it must be very important. Theologians call it the millennium. Now, to understand this passage, 
I'm, I, I, I set up some uh, Q&As. The first question is, what is the millennium? Second one, is a thousand years literal? Thirdly, when will the millennium come? This is the most difficult exegetically. And fourthly, who reigned with Christ during the millennium? Because of the time, I'm going to flip over that very quickly. And, uh, and I actually will you know, highlight the most important things. In the millennium, uh, something didn't come out. The saints reign with Christ, uh, right here. A thousand years, Satan will be bounded, and the saints reign with Christ during that time. So this is a millennium. Millennium is a technical term. The Bible never has this word millennium in there. It only has thousand years. So is it literal? Some people say that, yes, a thousand years is a thousand years. We have to take the Bible literally. Others say that it is symbolic. It symbolizes a long period of time. Now, there's something to say about B. The angel holding the key to the abyss. Is the key really a physical key? And the angel is holding a chain. Is it a physical chain? Satan was, is bound by the chain. Satan is a spirit. How can a physical chain bound the spirit? So most likely the key is not a physical key, it's symbolic. The chain is also symbolic. So if the key is symbolic, the, the chain is symbolic, can a thousand years be symbolic as well? I think it's quite likely. When will the millennium come? Some say that future. Future with respect to John, who saw the vision, and also future with respect to us today. Christ will come before the millennium. And this is what we call the pre-mill possession. The second school of thought is that, yes, the millennium is in the future. Christ will come after the millennium. Post-mill. Here's the third school. You're all wrong. Now is the millennium. Now meaning that when Christ came the first time, until the time when Christ comes again, that period, a thousand years, two thousand years, counting. That's the millennium. And we are in the millennium. This is the Emil possession. Which one is right? We'll go very quick. The first one here, because Revelation 19, talk about, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. This is no one else but Jesus Christ himself. So if Jesus Christ came riding on a white horse in chapter 19, then chapter 20, talking about millennium, must come after Christ coming back. I think reading uh, Revelation 20, this is the most natural explanation. However, if you consider the scripture as a whole, the post-mill people will say that, look at what Christ said. 
Matthew 24, when Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciple came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of age? And then Jesus answered, and this gospel of the kingdom will, not, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Jonathan Edwards, D.L. Moody, they believe in post-mill, and they said, we have to preach the gospel. And once the, the gospel is preached to all the nations, that's the millennium, and then Christ will come shortly after. And then they would further say that, you look at the book of Revelation, they don't go in sequence. The seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, basically talking about similar period. The third procession, Amil. Now is the millennium. One objection is, he says, Satan is bound. We don't see Satan bound. And these scholars would quote Mark Three, when Jesus was questioned by the scribes or the teachers that Jesus cast out demon by Beelzebub. And then Jesus went on to tell uh, an explanation. And at the end he says, In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. The strong man's house is Satan's house. And tying him up is tying up Satan. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. So Satan is already bound when Jesus first came. Well, how about the saints who have resurrected and then reigned with Christ? When did it happen? And they would quote Ephesians chapter 2. Paul said that you were dead in your transgressions, but God who is rich in mercy made us alive. He further said that God raised, up, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus. So when we seated with him, that means we are reigning with him. So that already has happened. We are reigning with Christ. Revelation talk about we are become the priests of God. First Peter Talk about you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We are priests. If we are all raised and to be with Jesus, why do we need any priests? Priests is between God and people. Bring people to God. We won't need priests anymore if we are all, all the saints are up there. Finally, if we look at Second Peter, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So when Christ comes, so sudden, and then this earth will be destroyed. So this school, based on these passages and more, and say that millennium is now. We don't need to wait any further. So which one? is the right one. What do you believe? And if you ask me, I'm not pre-mill, I'm not post-mill, and I'm not a mill. So what are you? 
I'm windmill. <laughs> this is a picture I have. It has uh, three blades, and one is the A mill, one is the post mill, one is the pre mill, and depending on how the wind blows, one of them will come on top. Because we really, based on the scripture, we can't say for sure. But what we know for sure is the hub. And the hub is that Jesus will be coming. I'm going to end with the last question. Who reigned with Christ during the millennium? It's very clear that the saints, those who had been beheaded because of the testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God and so on. I'll close with this last illustration. Two days ago, I was reading CNN News and talk about an, uh, the American secretary who became king, a woman's journey to royalty. She's a secretary working in an embassy in the U.S. And one night, she received a call from her cousin. Woke her up 4 a.m. in the morning, and then over the other side, the voice said, Peggy. The king of our tribe just died. And the elders in our tribe, with, with the 7,000 people, we had a meeting. They all remember you visiting our country, and they have elected you to be king. And so that one night she became king. Real story. And it's uh, written in a book, and it will be put uh, up as a, as a movie coming out soon. And when she got the phone, and then she was not sure, are you kidding? And so on and so forth. Finally, she ascertained, and then she said, okay, I'll accept it. And of course, it's a very poor neighborhood, poor uh, uh, place. And when she became king, she continued as ambassador secretary here. Eleven months of a year, she worked here. She saved up all her vacations, and then for one month, she goes to Ghana. This is the place, and the place is called Otuam. And she would fly out there for one month and then take care of all the business of the country. What did she do? What did she do as a king? People really bow to her, give her a crown and a scepter. But she said, don't bow to me. But instead, she helped people with clean water, helped the kids with good education, Computer, and the most recent project is to have new, uh, modern toilets in that place. And she said, everyone needs to have a calling. So she's a secretary, and at the same time, she's king. And as king, she serves her people. Whatever position you take, pre-mill, a-mill, or a post-mill, or like me, windmill, you have to remember, you have to prepare for Christ's coming. And our identity, we are priests and king, and we are to serve God's people. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage, very uh, long and difficult, and we just highlight the important points. Help us to take the message home and be your king and your priest on earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.